Father, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for believers. Thank you for unbelievers. God, I pray, Lord. I pray for this church. God, I pray that it'd be a light on a hill. God, a light that people will be drawn to. God, we can get bigger and be more elaborate or more anything, God, but so that your kingdom, your kingdom will grow and bring you glory. God, that is the sole purpose of everything we do here is to bring you and your kingdom glory. God, I pray that you would speak to people through your word. God, I pray that I would not, not try to preach with my own authority or my own abilities, God, but only through the power of Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit. God, I, I want so desperately to preach your word with truth. God, if I were to even consider saying something that's outside of your will, God, if I were to lead somebody astray through my words, God, I pray that you would strike me dead before I speak those words. God, I want you to be honored. I want people to hear the truth of your word. God, thank you. Thank you for this precious word. May we never take it for granted. It has the power to change lives for all of eternity. God, help us to remember that. God, in our struggles and our difficult situations that we're in, God, help us to remember the power of your word. God, be glorified now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You know, I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm going to share with you some insights into Kenny Nicks for just a minute. So I have to, uh, many times I have to go and pray and just get alone for a minute and pray. I had to do that a minute ago because I was so overwhelmed by emotion. I'm still trying to fight that right now, but you know what's so good about God? I was, I was back there praying, and sometimes in my prayer life, I feel like I got to do what I do out here, which is to articulate every single thing that's going on in my life and every single need that I have and every single heartache that is in here and, and I need to just say it out loud to God and I need to tell him all this stuff, right? I need to tell him how my heart is breaking, how I'm overwhelmed with emotion, all this stuff. I need to tell him that stuff, right? So I'm back there and I'm pouring out my heart to God and I'm talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. And, and it's, sometimes it's hard to find the words to exactly say what's going on in your heart. And you know what God said? Shh. You know how thankful I am that I don't have to say all the right words. I don't even have to put it into words. His Holy Spirit, he intercedes for me with the groanings that I can't even understand that come from my heart. He, he knows. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Because I don't have the right words. I'm not always able to put into words exactly what's going on in my heart. I can just fall down before him and just him just go, shh. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so incredibly thankful for that. 
We're in a spiritual battle (laughs) here as we go through a series on spiritual warfare. I know that I come under attack spiritually all the time. It's difficult, to be honest with you. It's it's very difficult many days. Um, I don't really understand sometimes what all is going on. All I know is stuff's heavy. You ever felt like that? You're like, I don't even know exactly all the details about every single thing that's coming up against me. All I know is it's really heavy on me right now. All I know is I feel like the weight of the world is crushing me, and, and I, I can't necessarily see something in my bank account that necessarily says that it's bad. I can't necessarily see something going on in my family that says, oh, this is tough. But it's still like there are certain days when you're just walking around in this world, and you're going, this is hard. This is hard. I can't even, I can't even describe why necessarily. Uh, I can't quantify it, but all I know is it's hard right now, and it's heavy. I can tell you in my life that happens all the time. I, it, I, I know that there's a spiritual battle going on that I can't even see. There's warfare going on in places that I can't even put my, my hands on, but I know that it's there. I know that you feel the same way sometimes. I know that you do. I have to, I have to, I have to tell myself stuff, you know? I have to go back and remind myself of stuff. And I have to remind myself of what the word of God says. I have to remind myself what God said in this situation or that situation. Because the world is hard. It's a difficult place that we live in. And it's frustrating sometimes. Because you want to remember what the word of God says. You want to remember the promises. But it's hard even to remember those, you know. It's, it's like, man, I can't even remember the goodness of God sometimes. You know, you know what the Bible calls that? In the spiritual battles that we go through, the warfare that we're in, a lot of times we have this blindness. It's literally a blindness where we, we can't see clearly. We're, we're, we're not looking at the right stuff. We've we got foggy vision, you know what I mean? Like you can't just see clearly the things that God is doing. It's just your vision is blurred over. You've got the blinders on, and you're not looking the right direction. Spiritual blindness. Now that can happen if you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. It can happen to both. What I hope you see today through God's word is even in the midst of our our spiritual blindness sometimes, God is still at work and he's still on our side and he's still doing something great even though you might not be able to see it. Because these battles are going on in places that we can't see, right? So there's a lot of good stuff going on in these battles as well. We just can't necessarily see it. So we're going to be in 2 Kings this morning as we look at spiritual warfare You look at this dude named Elisha. This is not Elijah. This is Elisha. You look at him, and his, he's, got a, he's got a servant guy that helps him out, and we're going to see what's going on here. You know, uh, God used the, the, the prophets a lot of times to, to warn them or to show them how to defeat their enemies or that their enemies was coming to attack, and God was protecting his people through his prophets a lot of times. So here, the, the prophet Elisha, he's actually in a place where, where he... he you know, He's able to see some stuff that not everybody else can see. He's able to to hear some things from God that not everybody else can hear. God used these prophets all the time to try to to protect Israel, to try to keep them, to to try to protect them from being destroyed. Happens time and time and time again in the Old Testament. I know some people cringe when I say that we're going to be in the Old Testament. I point out a passage like 2 Kings, and everybody's like, oh, great, the Old Testament. I love it. Fantastic. The Old Testament 
I can assure you, will show you so much about Jesus Christ. It will show you so much about the power of God and how Jesus Christ was there. He was constantly doing things. And even though we may not recognize it, the stories are such a parallel to the gospel in the New Testament. We're going to see that today. We're going to see that today. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces as such and such a place. So here we got this king. He's trying to destroy the Israelites. He's got a, he's got a battle plan. He, he's, he's got a plan together for this is how we're going to destroy the Israelites. Now you know that your enemy, you have an enemy. You have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. And he's trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy your testimony. He's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to tear you apart limb from limb. And he's got a game plan. He's absolutely got a game plan. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the things. He knows the weakest link in your chain. And he knows where he can get you. And I promise you, he's going to come in that whatever that link, weak link might be for you. It's amazing, right? It's like we always slip up. We always fall in some area. We're like. I kind of knew that was a problem in my life, but I never really addressed it. I tried to push it out, tried to ignore it, tried to not deal with it. And what happened? Satan used that weak link in your chain and said, that's what I'm going to attack. He knows every single weakness. So here we have this king. Uh, he, he's trying to attack the Israelites. He mobilizes his forces, and he's trying to attack in, in, in the weak places in the Israelite army. But, verse 9 says, but. Immediately, Elisha, the man of God. Here we got a man of God, a man who seeks after God, a man who's praying to God, a man who has faith in God, devout faith in God, and he's, he's trying his best to please God with his life. Here we got this, this man of God. It says, but immediately, Elisha, a man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are, are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha uh, warned the king, and he would be on alert there. The king of Aram came, became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? So here we've got Elisha doing what God has called him to do. He's, he's a man of God. He's pursuing God. He's praying to God. God's speaking to him. He's showing him things. He's showing him exactly what the enemy is planning to do. Now, what does that tell us in our lives? What is, what is that? I mean, like, does that not ring a bell to you? Like, what should we be doing? You're like, well, I'm not a prophet of God. I, I can't, I can't just, just have, call fire down from heaven and stuff happen, you know? Like, we all, we all get that mentality, right? We forget that these are regular men. You know what I mean? Like, like these are they're men, and, and these, are, these are people that just are like me and you, that they're praying to God, seeking God, trying to get God to use them. You can do that. You know that? That God can use you just like he used Elisha. That God can continue to pour into you in such a way that you, you're able to do great things for the kingdom of God. Now, it may not look like what the prophets were able to do because God was trying to accomplish a specific purpose. But let me tell you that God is trying to accomplish a specific purpose in your life and around the people in your life. And you can be somebody that is used as an instrument of God for God's will. He's really no different than the rest of us. He's no different than me. He's no different than you. He's a man seeking after God, trying to get God to use him. And God is using him. He's pouring into him. 
Now, what, what's, what's the thing here? What is Elisha doing? How, how is Elisha getting the information? Is he just walking along and he sees something written in the sand? He's like, whoa, hey. The king of Aram, he's coming and he's going to be over here. No, that's not what's going on here. Elisha, you know why he knows what the enemy's up to? It's because he's praying to God. You know how you can know what the enemy is up to and where your linkest, weakest link is in your chain? You can pray to God. You can talk to God. You can say, God, reveal things in my life. Examine my heart and show me the things where I have weakness and the places I need strengthening and the places I need to be corrected in. You do that two ways, by reading the word of God. That is important, by the way. And also praying to God. That is so important. God, speak to me. Talk to me. I want to hear from you. God, please reveal to me these things. That's all Elisha's doing. He's just praying to God to say, God, show me. You know what you need to do in your life? You need to pray to God. God, show me. Show me where the, where the weak areas are. And here, time and time again, uh, Elisha's able to go to the, the king of Israel and say, hey, you need to stay away from that area over there. I'm telling you, it's bad news. The big bad king's coming, and he's, he's planting troops over there. You need to stay away from that area. And, and then it will happen again. Like, okay, well, they figured that out. Let's go over here, and we'll, we'll attack them from this side over here. And they're like, all right, pull all your guys out from over there, king, because the king of Aram is coming, and he's, he's going to attack over there. And it frustrated the king of, king Aram, king of Aram. He, he's, he's, like, he's like, what is going on? Why, we must have a traitor somewhere amongst us, right? So it's, it, it's not possible that maybe these Israelites really have a relationship with God, and they're able to discern stuff that... You know, other people, because they're worshiping other gods, they aren't able to discern. He's like, he rules that out. Well, that's not really possible. That's not really what's going on here. You know, when God does supernatural stuff in your life and, and things start to happen and change and you got people starting to love Jesus and people around you starting to get saved and all this kind of stuff, the enemies will definitely go, oh, that's not God. That's just something else, man. That, they're all under this false delusion. It's some kind of group delusion that they're under and they're all just... They're all just fantasizing that that's God. That's not really God. That's exactly what this king's doing. Oh, that's something else, man. We got The reason they know is because we got a traitor amongst us. Let's go find him out. The king's all mad, and he's looking for uh, the mole in his group, the one that's selling him out, that's telling the, the enemies who, who's, uh, where they're going and what they're, what they're up to, where they're going to attack next. And what does this, what does this guy say? He looks around at his boys, and his boys like, it's not us. My lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. He said, he's privy to information that happens even in your bedroom. Now, there's only one person that's privy to the information that happens in your bedroom, and that's God. And here we've got God reigning, uh, listening in on, on what the king is planning, and, and he's like telling Elijah all the private conversations that's happening in his most private places. He's telling, uh, he's telling Elisha what's going to happen. Now, these guys know about it. I think it's interesting that, that, that his officers are the ones pointing this out to him, that, that, there's, that there's this Elisha guy, and he's the one doing this. The word got out about Elisha, didn't it? They knew about Elisha. Here, they got... These are the enemies talking about Elisha, and they know that he's talking to God. So even your enemies, if you're talking to God, even your enemies know that you're talking to God. They may not want to admit it necessarily, that that's the reason you're able to figure stuff out, but what they at least know that that's the person that's talking to God, and there must be something to it. Because it ain't one of us. It's not one of us doing it. What is he going to do? Of course. Of course what is he going to do? 
Go and find out where he is, the king commanded. So I can send troops to seize him. Well, if Elisha's the problem, Elisha is going to be the remedy because we're going to go get that joker. He's not going to be able to do this to us anymore. He's not going to be able to sell us out anymore. And the report came back, Elisha's at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. See, this this is what's cool. See, this is why you need to study the Bible, not read it. Anybody know anything about Dothan? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's the place we go through on the way to the beach every summer. Yeah, I know, I know Dothan. I've been there. They got McDonald's, Burger King right side by side. They got a mall. It's not much there, but you know, like I've been to Dothan. I know about Dothan. Oh man, this is why you got to study and not read. This is why you got to study. See, every single thing you ever run across something when you're reading, you go, I wonder if that means something. I wonder if there's something to that. I wonder if there's something to that name. You know. I promise if you dig hard enough and you look hard enough, you'll find something. It'll blow your mind. So why is Dothan important? Back in Genesis, there was this dude named Joseph. And uh, he was loved by his dad. And, and uh, he got thrown into a well. And they were, his brothers were going to kill him. They said, why don't we kill this joker and get him out of our way? He's the one that's the favorite of the family. So, you know, he's always running around with his notepad. He's got his iPad out, and he's always telling us what to do. And he says, one day he's going to rule and reign, and he's going to be big and bad and all this kind of stuff. And we don't really like him so much. Why don't we just kill him? Now, you think you got some family issues. At least your brothers and sisters ain't going, let's kill him. You know what I mean? Uh, now, some of you may have a brother or sister that's thinking that. I'm not saying you don't, but... I, I know that, that my brother and sister looked at me from time to time and go, I got an idea, let's kill him, you know. Uh, usually when we were playing Monopoly and I was just beating the stew out of him. But anyway, um, so here, here we've got Joseph being thrown into a well and he's praying for deliverance. He's praying for God to rescue him. Do you know where he is when this happens? It happens to be in a place called Dothan. Here is a man of God praying that God would deliver him and rescue him in a place called Dothan. Here we see Elijah in a place called Dothan praying that God would deliver him and rescue him. See, Jewish people, they would have picked on the, up on that right away. You said Dothan, they would have known exactly what that referred back to. They would have said, Joseph, Joseph. Now, what's the story about Joseph? So he got, he got thrown into a well. Well, his brother said, well, we won't kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. Well, that's sweet, right? So let's not kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. That'll be better. So... He got delivered, but not exactly the way Joseph wanted to be delivered, right? Like, he was hoping they wouldn't kill him, but the outcome of that was like, okay, sold into slavery. Not exactly what I was hoping for, but it's better than dead, you know? So I'll go with that. And the time and time again, you see in Joseph's life, he gets thrown into prison. You see him, he gets taken out of prison, goes to work for this other guy, and he gets accused of adultery, and he gets thrown into prison, and a baker comes along, the baker forgets about him. And finally, over and over again, bad things happen to Joseph, but it's God at work, and what is happening? Ends up, Joseph is second in command, and he ends up being able to rescue his brothers that sold him into slavery. God delivered him. It wasn't the way... Joseph would have had it done had he been able to choose it. But God delivered him, put him in second in command. And because he was in that place, God was able to use him to rescue all of Israel. 
All of Israel was able to be rescued in the lineage of Israel and the lineage of Jesus Christ was able to be rescued because this guy named Joseph was delivered in a place called Dothan. So here you got Elisha. He's hanging out in Dothan. How do you think it's going to work out for the old king of Aram who's coming to Dothan to get a man of God? Yeah, I know. It's like foreshadowing, right? You can kind of see what's coming. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. So Elisha's got this guy hanging out with him, you know, showing him the ropes. Uh, this would have been a guy who was faithful to God and, his, his, uh, you know, his, his commitment to God would have been real. He would have been like second in line once Elisha uh, he passed away or once he moved on. This would have been a guy that probably taken over Elisha's reins and probably would have been a guy that would have been a prophet as well. This is a man, if you're following around Elisha, he's, he's a guy that loves God. He wants to, to be used by God just like Elisha does because that's the only reason he'd be hanging out with him. So Elisha, he's, he's hanging out in his house. You know, a lot of people like what the Bible says. You know what I like just as much about what the Bible says? I like just as much what the Bible doesn't say. So his servant goes, and he goes to the door, and he looks outside, and he sees horses and chariots, and, and the enemy is surrounding him. You know where Elisha is? It doesn't say. I just picture, picture the dude just sitting down in his house chilling. I figure he's just sitting there. He's not worried. He's not anxious. He's not looking out the window waiting on the enemy. Where's the enemy? You know, he's not, he's not worried about where, where the enemy is and how many chariots they got or how many horses they got or how many men they brought or how many spears they got. He's inside the house. It's his servant that's worried about it. You know what I think is interesting? This king, <laughs> this king is he's dumb, right? So we do some dumb stuff. Don't get on him, but he's dumb, right? Like you would think if, if, if Elisha's been telling the king of Israel every single time where they're coming from and how they're going to attack are you really going to be able to go and attack a dude like that? Ain't he going to know ahead of time where you're coming from and where you're going to try to get him and capture him? Ain't he going to be the one that says, you're coming to get me? I know you are because God already told me you are, just like he told me all the other places you were trying to attack us. That just don't seem real smart to me. If he did try, I wouldn't tell anybody. I'd, just be, I'd be like, king, king would be just like, all right, y'all go follow me. I'm not talking to anybody. We're just going. So here you see Elisha, he's just, I, I see no indication that, that Elisha's all worried about what's about to happen. I see his, his servant, bless his heart, man, that dude's freaking out, right? He's like, you're not going to believe this, man. There's a lot of chariots out there and horses and a whole lot of men, and ain't but two of us. I don't know if you know the odds, man, but it ain't real good. You know, we don't, we what are we going to fight them with? Well, we got like a pot for grilling stuff, you know, and, and we got to go take on this whole army. I don't, I don't know, man. You ever feel like that? Like maybe it's you and somebody else, or maybe it's just you and the whole army's out there, right? This whole spiritual warfare is going on. It's just you. It's just me and my lonely. All I, I just got a breastplate of righteousness. And the armor of God, that's all I could muster was just a breastplate of righteousness. Maybe a helmet of salvation, yeah, but I certainly ain't got no sword. I ain't got no shield of faith. I don't have any boots on, man. It's like I, I, I try with the belt of truth, but my gut's just too big. I can't get the belt on, you know. But, like, you ever feel like it's just you? 
Like, like it's just you against everybody else in this whole spiritual warfare. I imagine that servant was like, this is not good, man. This is not good. I'm looking at the numbers. I'm running the math. It ain't good. And Elisha, Elisha, (laughs) you know what he does? All right, we'll just read it. I don't want to tell you ahead of time. He says, uh, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid. You ever heard anybody say that in the Bible? It's pretty, pretty frequent you hear that. Don't be afraid. Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, old servant guy, he's sitting there going, one, two, yep, one, two. Yeah, Elisha, I'm, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see it, man. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not with you on that. I'm not tracking. There's like two of us, and you say we're outnumbering them? I'm not really sure I'm tracking with you on that. Then Elisha prayed. You know what the only thing Elisha does in, 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 in this whole passage? The only thing he does is pray. You know what that tells me? What we ought to be doing more of? It's not worrying. It's not worrying. Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. You know what you know we need to pray? Sometimes we just need to pray, Oh God, open my eyes and let me see. Oh, God, remove the spiritual blindness. Remove the fog that's covering the lens of my eyes so I can see clearly. God, just let me see. Let me understand. And that is exactly what Elijah's praying to God. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. If that doesn't send chills down your spine, I don't know what will. The servant's freaking out. He's worried about what's going on here because he's seeing they're about to be crushed by this huge army. And then he lifts his eyes up, right? You always got to lift your eyes up to see God, don't, don't you? He looks up on the hillside. And what does he see? He sees horses and chariots of fire. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got the choice of being on the side, the guys with just the horses and the chariots or the guys with the horses and the chariots of fire, I want to be on the side with the horses and chariots of fire. Am I right? That's the side. I, like, I want them guys on my side. So what was happening was he was in this place of despair and he was worried. And Elisha said, open my eyes so that I can so Open his eyes so that he can see. Oh, God, let him see the power and your might and all the enemy that was around him. This was a greater force that had surrounded the enemy. And they were ready to defend Elisha and his servant. You know what you need to see? Your struggles in your life, your spiritual battles. Pray that God will open your eyes and lift your eyes up to the hillsides and see the horses and the chariots of fire. If that don't put your mind at ease, nothing will. See, see, th- these guys were earthly. Th- these men were being used by a wicked king to try to, try to destroy the Israelites and to try to destroy Israel, uh, Elisha and his servant. But there was a supernatural army that was outside of them, encircling them and ready to fight. And it was the army of God. This was not a physical war that was going on. This was a spiritual battle that was happening And Elisha recognized it for what it was, and he said, I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to pray that God will open my servant's eyes so that he won't be afraid anymore. 
Oh, that just put something in my heart. I go, you know what? All this junk that I've been worried about, all these things that I thought were a big deal, it turns out they're really not. Is there's an army on my side that's greater and bigger and badder and on fire because of the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't have to be afraid. And I don't have to worry about being destroyed. Because my God is so much bigger than all of this. And that's exactly what's going on here. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, Oh, Lord, please make them blind. I know, I know. Hang on. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. So the servant had been blind and he prayed that God would open his eyes. Now you got Elisha praying that the enemy would be blinded so that they couldn't see very clearly. And God heard his prayer. Once again, Elisha's not, he hadn't picked up a sword yet. All he's doing is praying. And God's doing a great thing. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. Elisha's pulling a Jedi mind trick. It's like, (laughs) these are not the droids you're looking for. And they just, yeah, I like Star Wars. It comes with being a geek. He pulls the Jedi mind trick. God blinds the enemy, and now they can't see clearly. And Elijah just walks up to him. He's like, hey, guys, I know, I know who you're after. I'm going to take you to him, all right? And they're like, oh, okay. We can't. So, so God not only can, can, can remove the spiritual blinders, but he can also put them on in order to protect his people, in order to do his will. And here we see that's exactly what's going on. Elisha prayed, and these guys, these unbelievers, now have the spiritual blindness, and they can't see clearly. Why? So that God's man can be saved. So that God's man can be protected. So he can go on and on and on. Not just to protect uh, Elisha and his servant, which is a great thing, but also to protect the kingdom of Israel because he was the one that was able to tell him when the enemy was coming to attack. So even though it looked like it was just affecting him, it had a much greater impact. Isn't that the way that it happened so? You know, people tell me all the time, I love this, I love this. Well, I'm just going to sin and I'm just going to go into this area of my life and do what I want to and it's only going to affect me. Right? Just, I'm just going to delve off into this, and it's, it's only, it's only going to affect me, right? I don't, need, I don't even need to preach that to you. I think you know where I'm going with that. Here, this man of God was to be saved. Here we see that he prayed and asked God to, to cover them with blindness, and that's what happened. Elisha did the whole Jedi mind trick on him and said, this is not the right place. Come on, let me follow you. You follow me and I'll take you to the place. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, oh Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. And the king of Israel saw them and he shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? The enemy is right there in the midst of the Israelites, and they're like, can we kill them? Can we just take them out? Can we get rid of them once and for all? Because if we don't, man, they're going to come back again, and it's going to be bad. If we don't, Elisha replied. Listen to what Elisha says, verse 21. Excuse me, verse 22. He says, of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again. 
to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and sent them home at their, uh, to, their ma- to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. What is this? What's going on here? These are unbelievers. These are people that don't know God. And the man of God, you know what he says? Show them grace. Show them grace abundantly, exceedingly. As a matter of fact, we're going to feed them so that they're not hungry when we send them home. You know who that is? You know know who they are? That's us. That's us. The time when you were spiritually blind and you couldn't see God. You you, you just didn't have a relationship with him. You didn't didn't know much about him and you didn't care much about him. And you were deep in sin and he rescues you out of that. He shows you exceeding grace, abundant grace. Grace that you don't deserve. You deserve death, but that's not what he gives you. He gives you life-sustaining food to eat. And that's exactly what happens here is the man of God says, show them grace. Show them grace. We don't kill prisoners of war. That's not what we do. And we're not going to do that today. What happened? What happened? God's will was done, right? They showed them grace. It says, this army never came back to attack them again. And never, ever raised his fist against them again. Never came back into the land. I'm going to tell you just a quick story. It's hard to tell, so I'll try to do it without crying. It's about my daughter, okay? I talk about her cancer, and I talk about her death, and I talk about that a lot, okay? That's because that's my testimony, and God has called me to share my testimony with as many people as I can over and over and over again, and I will never stop talking about it. And if you want to go to another church so you don't have to hear me talking about my daughter dying, you should do that. Because I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to tell her story over and over and over again. I used to have conversations on Friday nights. The, the chaplain at Children's Hospital, he would come up to our floor and he would just sit there in case people needed to talk to him or whatever. I spent many, as God put this calling on my life to go into ministry, I wanted to hear what this guy had to say. Because he has been just in the pit, you know. I mean, like a chaplain at Children's Hospital sees people burned sees little kids disfigured in awful ways, come in from car wrecks already dead. I mean, like, he is in the middle of the warfare, right? Like, he's in the middle of the battle, a spiritual battle that's going on, and he's right there on the front lines, and I wanted to hear what he had to say. So I used to spend a lot of time with him on Friday nights when he was there till midnight. We'd stay and we'd talk, and sometimes he wouldn't go go home until 2 o'clock in the morning because I, I, I just kind of commandeered his time and just wanted to hear from him. And I told him, I said, Paul, I said, I said, I want to give you a piece of advice. I said, I see this, I see this happening sometimes at, at Children's Hospital that the families would get bad news. So I've been around long enough to see families that have kids with cancer and, and the doctor's got to deliver bad news. The cancer's come back, the chemo's not working, the tumor has grown. I see them get bad news, right? I said, Paul, man, why are, why are you not there? 
why are you not there when that bad news is delivered? You need to be there, man, because these people need somebody. They need somebody to, to cry with and, and to minister to them. Man, they, they need somebody to be there. And I said this at a time when Kenneth was doing really well in her treatments and the cancer was gone. By all indications, the cancer that she had was gone. And then we had an MRI. And it was day for us to go back in the clinic and, and go and meet with the doctors and get the results of the MRI. And we walked through the door. And you know who was standing there? Paul. And I looked in his eyes and we both just started to cry. Because I had told him, you need to be there when you deliver bad news. When the doctor's there to deliver bad news, you need to be there. They told us that the cancer had come back. And three months later, three months later, I held Kenneth's hand in the room when she was struggling breathing. They, they put an oxygen mask on her. And, uh, and the nurses and the doctors were looking. They said, you need us to call somebody. You need us, because it's likely she's not going to live much longer. Do you need us to call somebody? And I thought about calling Paul. I said, no, just us. Just us. You know why? You know why? Because I knew there wasn't room. There wasn't enough room in that hospital room for Paul. Because it was wall to wall with angels and horses and chariots of fire. I know that when we were in that emergency room, and the doctor had to look at us in our eyes and tell us that our daughter had a tumor the size of an orange growing in the side of her head. It was wall to wall to wall angels of chariots and horses of fire. And when we were in there in the, getting the, her first CT scan done and, 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 and the radiologist had this look in his eyes and we knew that something was wrong. We knew that something was really going on in her brain, and that's the reason she was suffering the way that she was. I knew that in that place it was wall to wall to wall, angels and horses and chariots of fire. And as we walked down the hallway to that ER for that doctor to look at us in her eyes and tell us that she was going to have to have brain surgery, it was wall to wall to wall, angels and horses and chariots of fire. I don't know how difficult your struggles are. I ain't got a clue. I don't, I don't know what your relationship with Jesus is like. This is what I do know. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Ask him to open your eyes. Ask him to let you see. The army that is on your side, the army that is with you, the army that will sustain you, the God of grace that pours out on you every single day that you don't have to fight from a place of, of defeat, that you play, fight from a place of victory. Ask him to let you see. Ask him to let you see. Father God, thank you for this precious word. God, thank you for the things that you remind us of and your word that, that tell us that we don't have to be afraid. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us?
Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, so we won't give us everything. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen us for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised us to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? We have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened to death. I am convinced that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, nor worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Father, thank you, God, for these promises. Thank you for the power of your word. God, thank you so much, Lord, for showing us. God, for opening our eyes through your word. God, opening our eyes to the power of who you are. God, help us to remember that we're fighting from a place of victory, not from a place of defeat. God, do a great work in the hearts and lives of the people here, all for your glory. May we be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all stand?